Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It is great to be back after a three-week hiatus. We are back with something new for our 40th episode. Look, this offseason alone, we've run through sleepers, rookies, best ball, dynasty. Heck, we even compared players to random things. But today, we're taking you back to school as we unveil nine lessons we've learned throughout our years playing football, all right here on the Breakout Football Podcast on the Believe Network, sponsored by Link Me. I'm Zach Cohen of the Draft Network, alongside the ingenious Cole Topham. We have a great show lined up today, but of course, when I say we, I don't mean just Cole and I. We have a very special guest who I will introduce in a minute, but first, I would be... I would be very upset if I don't give Cole a quick word in here. What's going on, Cole? It's been a couple weeks, man. How you been? Dude, it has been a couple weeks. What, what's happened? I've turned 21. You yeah. traveled the country. Uh, hopefully, we all got a little bit older and wiser in between there. Yeah, and if you didn't get any wiser, I guess that's what today's show is for because we brought in an awesome guest, someone who has had a ton of experience in this industry. He's had experience with ESPN radio and sporting news radio. You may know him from the Todd Wright Fantasy Football Podcast. Please welcome Todd Wright. Todd, it is so awesome to finally have you on the show. Easy on the uh, gaining age and wisdom. Thank you very much, guys. I, I have enough of it. So if there's any way <laughs> to stop the clock and you guys keep doing it without it affecting me, please move forward without me. <laughs> we'll do our best. I mean, it's definitely great. You know, so far when we do our podcast, we always have people who were, I guess, more a younger who don't have as much experience and that's always fun, but you've had quite the career. I know I kind of touched on it a few moments ago and we're going to get into some lessons that you've learned throughout your career. But for those who aren't too familiar with your work, you mind catching them up to speed real quick? Uh, the quick is I've been very fortunate. I've worked in uh, uh, sports journalism, uh, sports radio, sports television uh, for quite some time. Uh, most people know me. From the decade, decade I spent hosting All Night with Todd Wright on ESPN Radio, and after three contracts in Bristol, Connecticut, I then took on some other opportunities with Sporting News Radio, which became Yahoo Sports Radio, uh, Sirius and XM, even before they merged, working with them, uh, doing some uh, television with what became Bally Sports Sun and Bally Sports Florida. It used to be known as Fox Sports Sun, Fox Sports Florida, or even Sunshine Network with a lot of college football. And uh, yeah, I, I still am in it enough with podcast and Spectrum News and uh, VEASAN out of Las Vegas for handicapping golf, the Stanley Cup playoffs, and talking fantasy football there. But I like to spend most of my time on the golf course mm. and great to be with you guys today. Yeah. Well, when you're not on the golf course, you know, you are one of the prime candidates to talk about everything you've really learned, you know, throughout your years playing and talking and researching fantasy football. So that's what we're going to do today. Me, 
Todd, Cole, we each brought to the table three lessons that we've learned playing this beautiful and maddening game. So we'll start off with Todd. And I said, hey, you can be as specific as you want to be or as general and already looking at the roster of lessons we brought to the table. We're getting pretty specific, especially to start. So Todd, the floor is yours. Uh, What is the first lesson you've learned playing fantasy football? I don't know why targets are brought up so often. I don't know of any league where you get points for a target. And I could have spun this off into a whole other issue, how I do not believe in, nor do I commission, nor do I play in PPR leagues, but I'll keep it specific to targets and how I believe it is a misleading stat. Uh, You could reference Uh, say Robinson now with the Rams and when Robinson was a wide receiver with the Bears and also the Jaguars you could see all of his targets but what does it actually translate to most of the time because he had very bad quarterback play and I know he's coming off a bad season worst of his career um, and he could be in line for a major bounce back with the defending Super Bowl champion Rams but that's just one example where I don't buy into the conversation about targets. Instead, I want touches. I want to know how many times any skill position player touches the ball for fantasy football purposes, uh, particularly when a touchdown is, uh, is uh, at a high percentage, whether that's inside the five-yard line, inside the 10-yard line, inside the red zone. And I think the best example of that, when last year I felt I needed to make a little bit of a push before the trade deadline to secure a championship team. I did everything I could to acquire Debo Samuel and getting him from the defending champion wasn't easy. And I was stunned that he threw multiple offers at me. Why did I want Debo Samuel? Because of how often he touched the ball and all fantasy owners, whether they had him or not knew there was an increased amount of times that they used him either on jet sweeps and, as you guys know, just straight up out of the backfield, hand the ball to him. You got those touches in addition to his touches uh, running normal pass-catching routes. So give me guys that touch the ball a lot. For example, a guy that I'm targeting this year that I really want, because I generally avoid rookies. I admit I didn't have Jamar Chase last year, um, but I jumped on, say, Jefferson in his second year with the Vikings and now he's considered one of the top two or three wide receivers available. I want Najee Harris uh, because of how often he touched the ball as a three down back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So touches over targets for me. That is a great point that you bring up, especially with a little a uh, little bit of advice at the end, because Najee Harris totally falls in line with everything you said. He, no running back, saw a bigger touch share than Harris did last year, and that was only his rookie season. So clearly, if everything you know you just say you abide by, then Harris could be the guy. So that's a great first lesson there, Todd. Glad you could bring that to the table. Especially good to know them. You know, when we first talked, you know, you came and spoke to you uh, one of our classes at the University of Florida back when I was still in school. And you mentioned like, hey, you don't like PPR. And it's an interesting point to bring up because I feel like so many people in this industry today really only look at PPR, half PPR. 
I'm pro PPR probably always will be, but it's always great to get other perspectives of people who don't see, see things, uh, as the same way that you do. So for you to come on and say, you know, more of a standard guy, but also the importance of touches over targets, it does widen the scope of exactly what type of a research and what type of knowledge that you can bring to your own team. You being our beloved listeners, of course, of the podcast. So appreciate you bringing that lesson, Todd Cole, you got a lesson. Can I don't know how you follow that up with what Todd just said, but you can try, my dude. Dude, I, I just don't. Uh, I just blurt out my lesson right now, and it's situation <laughs> always trumps talent. And obviously, I don't have as many years of experience playing fantasy um, as you know compared to Todd. But in my time playing fantasy, I've usually found that betting on one singular talent in an overall crappy offense usually isn't the play. Um, especially, you know, when you're when you're getting into those, you know, third, fourth rounds of your draft, you want to start targeting um, more potent offenses, players in more potent offenses that are going to spread the ball around and just overall be productive. That is the better play than identifying somebody that is a big fish in a small pond, per se. So, I mean, the, the examples of, uh, over the past two years that come to mind are Terry McLaurin and DJ Moore, two receivers that just commanded um, deals toward the top of the wide receiver pay capital, right? Uh, Ter- Terry McLaurin obviously signing his deal just a, just a day ago, but those receivers are capped by their quarterback play and their, and their offense efficiency. And I don't really see them really challenging inside the top 15 permanently anytime soon until that quarterback play improves. And so that's why I'm taking, you know, better receivers and better offenses ahead of them. And so I guess the lesson here is just always target those offenses that are, are proven to produce receivers and proven to, to produce points. And so, I mean, that's why I'm looking at DK Metcalf this season. And I'm like, do I really see him finishing as a, as a top 15 lock? And I guess the answer is no. So situation will always trump talent no matter the situation. Yeah, I think Todd and I were both given the same nod of like, yeah, we're probably out on DK as well. And, you know, for all of our shows, I feel like half of them, we bring up DJ Moore in some capacity because, you know, Todd, we love DJ Moore. We think he's super talented, but the situation isn't always there. And, you know, Cole, me and you, we're very involved in the draft. Like you write for Chargers Wire. I've interned for the Draft Network for the past two years. So it's so easy to fall in love with a yes. talented player just for them to get put in a bad situation. And then why waste a pick on him if he's not going to be a baller for another couple of years, kind of like how McLaurin and DJ Moore have been stuck in fantasy. So good first two lessons off to a great start. I'll try and uh, follow those up myself. You know, recently for TDN, I wrote an article about how to properly deal with handcuffs. It's a popular term for those who aren't aware. It's, Hey, you got a starting running back. If he gets hurt, you should handcuff him with his backup running back, popular handcuff, Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison. Well, I'm here to tell you that's not what you should be doing. If you have Dalvin Cook and you have Alexander Madison as your backup, the only way you're playing Madison is if Cook gets injured, right? Why not target your league mates backups? If you have David Montgomery, say, as your running back, and you think you should handcuff him with Khalil Herbert, 
why not handcuff him with Alexander Madison? That way, if Cook does get injured, then you have Madison without losing your starting running back in Montgomery. Now, the counter argument to that is, okay, well, it's supposed to provide a safety net for you. If you lose your starting running back and then you don't have his backup, you could be screwed. And yes, there is a possibility of that. And in deeper leagues, it may not matter. If you have a 15 deep, you know, bench spots to dole out then sure why not draft the backup to your running back right but you're essentially saying you're using two players for one spot you know that dalvin cook madison the montgomery herbert right you're never going to play herbert so why not have a player on your bench who you could play with montgomery todd do you understand what i'm trying to say here because i just wrote a whole article on it so hopefully i'm getting a point across to the people who consume my content well i talked in uh, your class uh, how I employ a lot of the concepts of Moneyball, which popped up on AMC last night. I couldn't get away from it for a half hour. (laughs) Uh, And one of the Moneyball concepts is uh, you have to get value um, in the case of a baseball team from all 25 men on your roster. And I think you must have value. You must value the bench, even if you're not playing best ball um, in, in fantasy football. So I like where you're going with that, Zach. Yep. See, all right, I guess we are off. We're off to a pretty good start then. All good. So those are our first three lessons. We each got two more here on the Breakout Football Podcast. But, of course, we cannot continue the show without bringing up our beloved sponsor, Link Me, L-I-N-K-M-E. Not only are they one of the fastest-growing social media apps on the planet, but for people like Cole and me and Todd, too, have content in all these different places and websites and links and social media accounts, it's a link sharing app. Link me above all is a link sharing app. You get a nice, beautiful page. You get a personal link and on it access to every single piece of content that you could possibly find. My own link me page has, you know, my Twitter account, my YouTube channel, my podcast, my TikTok, my LinkedIn. If I wanted to put my PS4 uh, account on it, I could. I wanted to put my Venmo on it, I could. That's just the beauty of Link Me. It's also a great way to connect with people around the world. That's L-I-N-K-M-E. Download it on however you get your apps on whatever device you have. So let's go into our second lesson that we've learned playing fantasy football. Todd, you talked about touches over targets in your previous lesson. What do you have for your next one? Well, the second one is, uh, it's more of a personal thing with me. So everybody indulge me. I am a longtime fan of the Dallas Cowboys. Now, have I ever lived in Texas? No, but growing up uh, in the central Florida area uh, in the 1970s, uh, basically you had two choices in watching football. This is before football was ever in prime time uh, and there were multiple windows. So the choices that I had in watching football was until 1976, the one o'clock game was always the Miami Dolphins. Good team back then. Uh, And then in 1976, the Bucs came along. Not good team to watch at one o'clock. The four o'clock game almost always was Roger Staubach leading the Dallas Cowboys. And it was a Texas stadium on a star-studded team. And these games were fantastic. And just watching Staubach and those Cowboys, I became a fan of the Dallas Cowboys as a result of that national window almost being owned by the Cowboys at that time. So 
I've been a Cowboy fan ever since for six years when they were at Texas Stadium. I invested enough money where I had season tickets for the Cowboys. I would fly from Tampa to Dallas, not for all the games, but for most of the games. And I have gone to Jerry World a number of times since then, namely for big primetime games or for uh, for postseason games in almost every other year, as it seems to work with them. So I don't want to ruin my whole weekend uh, by going down with the Cowboys and my fantasy football team. So no matter how much the draft falls a certain way or how strongly I feel about a certain Cowboy player or two, I limit myself to one member of my favorite team on my fantasy football roster. So if the Cowboys have a bad Sunday, which they're known to do, <laughs> it doesn't ruin my fantasy football team that I still have them separate. So I limit myself to just one member of my favorite team. So if the Cowboys fail me, I still have my fantasy football team to make me happy. Or if my fantasy football team fails me, then I still have the Cowboys to make me happy. I don't want to go down the road where my favorite team and my fantasy football team are too connected and it ruins my weekend. That's just me. And that's totally, totally fair. Everyone's got their own preferences. And especially with that, you're basically adding a safeguard in a, well, at least if one team sucks, the other team doesn't suck. So yeah, way to play it safe. It's funny though, because for Cole's next lesson, he kind of touches on adding more than one player on one team. So hopefully in these case scenarios, you know, Cole, the lesson you're about to talk about doesn't really apply to one of our favorite teams. Yeah, I mean, it, it might apply to to Todd's favorite team because uh, one of the examples I pulled up is actually, yeah, the Cowboys. And it's it's stacking your quarterback and wide receiver. I think if you can do it, it is so valuable. And especially if you don't have to use, you know, some of those earlier round picks on, on those players, right? If, if you can wait on a quarterback, if you can, you know, get your receiver a little bit cheaper in the fourth or fifth round and then draft, you know, running back in the first three rounds, I think it is so valuable. If you have a primetime game on Thursday, right? You have Dak or CeeDee Lamb, Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, or Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs stepping out of the field and they just deliver a 50 burger right there before your opponent has even scored a point. That is just, it's so brutal to see like the win percentage meter tick down to 25% for your opponent before they've even started their fantasy football week. I think if, if that quarterback wide receiver stack gets really going at any point in the week and can just deliver that massive fantasy point total for you and your team, just because they're scoring, they're scoring points together on every single connection that, that they have that I think it's just an invaluable resource to your team. So I love stacking quarterback and wide receivers um, on the same team. Uh, if you have the opportunity to. Now, it's funny because we've done a lot of best ball content where stacking really applies more so there because they really only value the upside of points. But for, you know, redraft, normal leagues, it kind of goes back to what Todd just talks about where the opposite could happen. Say you have Dak and C.D. Lamb on one team and they drop a bad game. They give you a combined 10 points. Not only does it hurt your team, but it might also hurt you if that is your favorite team like in Todd's case that could be the case so definitely the the upside and the downsides but of course if you can stack 
get the quarterback and the receiver, maybe even the quarterback and the tight end. Super good to maximize your roster, especially in best ball. Uh, my lesson, I don't know. You guys have brought some good ones, and you've been really specific with yours. And I felt like mine was might be a little too general to even bring up now, but I'm just going to stick with it. Uh, ironically, it's when in doubt, stick with your gut. And this just kind of stemmed from me. I don't know about you guys, but like the bombardment of text messages and Twitter messages and sometimes emails, sometimes phone calls on a Sunday morning asking, hey, who should I start this week? I'm torn. And then it's like, well, I can make a case for either player. But at the end of the day, stick with your gut, right? And one, I think it just kind of takes the weight off of us. It takes the weight off of me. Like, well, then it's on you. But at the same time, right, you know, you could read five different articles on one player and it could all be telling you something different. Like I think Matthew Barry had did a really good segment on this uh, for ESPN a couple of years ago. That still sticks in my mind. You could put one piece of data, like say like Josh Allen scored. I'll give you one. Ready? Carson Wentz was quarterback 10 overall through nine weeks of last season. Just going off with that. You can, you can develop so many different takes, so many different opinions just stick with your gut. You get all these different pieces of advice. You're not sure what to do. The first decision that comes to your mind, just stick with that. Make it easier on yourself. No need to stress. It's just a game. I'm just here to have fun. So those were our second lessons. Our third and final lessons before we wrap things up here on a riveting episode so far of the Breakout Football Podcast on the Belief Network. I am Zach Cohen with Cole Topham, our guest Todd Wright today. Our third and final lesson, Todd, the floor is yours, my man. I get asked about as much about this as I do about my objection and my testimony about why PPR leagues are outdated. By the way, to use a Vegas term, I I don't argue with people like you, Zach, who play half point PPR in Vegas. We call that the hedge. I get that. I get that. I'm not arguing with you guys. I'm arguing with the full point PPR guy because I think the half point PPR guys get some of the argument. And that's why it's half point instead of full. So the other one is when I started the Todd Wright fantasy football podcast, this is now going on season seven. And part of starting that podcast was to actually build leagues. And we have sponsors where we do the old school live draft and everybody shows up and actually local television spectrum news comes out and puts us on TV and does a feature on it. Uh, There's a a local car dealership uh, involved and we use the showroom floor I decided to eliminate the tight end as a mandatory starting position. And I did so because I was tired of not only myself searching for a tight end play in week six, week eight, week 11, week 12, for various reasons and finding some dart to throw. I didn't wanna waste that time personally for my teams and I didn't want to waste that time answering those questions for anybody else because I think we'd all agree in the last 10 years maybe annually there's a handful that's it there's a handful of legit tight end ones that's all so you factor in injuries you factor in bye weeks And it just seems to be a waste of time to talk up these obscure names who may flash one game here 
or one game there and your week is riding on this odd waiver claim that I just didn't want to deal with it. So I took the mandatory tight end out and put in the wide receiver slash tight end flex as the third pass catcher in all of my leagues, because what this does, if you love Travis Kelsey, you can play him at that spot. If you love Andrews, who I had in my, what I call 21st century standard scoring from 2021 as the sixth best wide receiver slash tight end flex behind only Cup, Samuel, Chase, Adams, and Jefferson, there's a spot for you to play him. But the point being is, if you don't get one of those handful in the draft, you don't have to worry about a tight end all season long. You use your time more wisely on managing your roster with productive players, and you don't spend time spinning your wheels for obscure names that may or may not even catch one ball for you the week you need to play them. So no mandatory tight end for me. Todd, Music to my ears. Yeah, I was, oh my gosh, Todd, you have no idea how much Cole hates tight ends. It is like, it's like a back and forth between me or him because I'm, I completely agree. There's only like the top few guys. And after that, it is a crapshoot, but Cole just hates them. Oh, I knew, see, I knew you guys would get along because when I saw you write that uh, in the outline before the show, Todd, I'm like, oh, Cole is going to love that and I'm, I'm always all for making the leagues a bit different making them a bit unique adding a super flex getting rid of kickers two quarterback leagues things like that so a wide receiver tight end flex that's an awesome idea so glad you could bring that to the table especially in front of cole our noted tight end hater i guess i'm <laughs> outnumbered in that club today uh, yeah for cole, me todd it's it's just about uh, touchdown dependency that's the thing that irks me the most it's not about like the production it's about what that production leads to if they catch one ball and it's for and it's in the end zone then like that tight end is like tight end eight for the week and it just in, infuriates me and then he's on the waiver wire articles the next week and and just the the sleeper picks and man it it just it's very it takes very little to be a productive fantasy tight end here unless you're you know Kyle Pitts or Travis Kelsey at that top like you said <laughs> Well, I'm glad you got to add a little more fuel to the anti-tight end club fire there, Cole. Uh, you still got one more lesson left to give, though. You're not off the hook yet. Let's see what you bring to the table, your third and final lesson that you've learned playing fantasy football. What is it? Yeah, it's about those pop-off seasons, you know, a player that's kind of middle of the pack that finally erupts and has that one great season. And then he jumps up fantasy boards. You see the ADP from last year and the ADP from this year, and there's nearly a hundred spot difference. And it's accepting that that outlier season is probably just that it's probably an outlier and you don't need to feed into, um, you know, that post outlier season hype and spend a high draft pick thinking he's going to replicate that when he'll just return to the median, right? He'll return to what he was for me. I guess that, I guess that outlier player a few years ago was Terrell Pryor because he went from the Browns, uh, you know, a thousand yard season there. Uh, he goes to a better quarterback play in, at, in Washington, um, kind of, you know, minimal wide receiver competition there as well. Uh, opportunity to emerge and become that, you know, quarterback to wide receiver um, transfer product that, you know, I mean, he was, he was talented athletically. He, he had all the makeup to be, you know, a, a, an emerging wide receiver in the league. 
and he just kind of flopped and then, you know, went into irrelevancy. It's because Terrell Pryor had that one pop-off season with the Browns that made me buy into him, made Washington buy into him, and then he never, you know, he never replicated it. It was an outlier season, and it was the best season he ever had. And so that's what I'm trying to analyze for this season is analyze, you know, those outlier seasons. Um, I'm skeptical of Debo Samuel because he said in his contract negotiations that he wants to be used more as a traditional wide receiver and everything about Debo that made him Debo and made him the productive fantasy player was his time in the backfield and, and how creatively the 49ers used him. So I'm, I'm skeptical that Debo's Samuel, Debo Samuel's season might be an outlier season. And so that's that's why accepting that those big pop off seasons, while tremendous and exciting while they're happening, they might, you know, turn the table in the, the next year. When you said outlier, I had two names come to my mind. More recently, Robert Tunyon with the Packers when he was mm-hmm. like balling with the touchdowns. A little bit more of a throwback, a personal vendetta I have against Steve Slayton. Uh, in 2008, his rookie season, he balled for the Texans. 2009, he was my first round pick. He sucked. Luckily. Luckily, I drafted Chris Johnson, and the year was 2009. Still wasn't enough to win the title I lost in the championship game. Poor little me. Uh, Todd, any outliers that, that stand out to you over the years? Well, I'm just sort of thinking about uh, what Cole brought up, and I'd love to give you a really, really good outlier that fixed this. This is one of those, I'm going to have to give this some thought. Like, I'm looking at my board right now, and I, I buy the Debo Samuel argument, but we got a long way to go. We got a long way to go to see what, what his role is, who's quarterbacking the 49ers, who's available to quarterback the 49ers. How much do you want to win in terms of are they going to use them that fashion? Or is there, can I just take this another way? Is there a Debo ripple effect on the NFL, which is a copycat league? Could Zach Taylor in Cincinnati say, why am I only letting Joe Burrow throw to Jamar Chase on uh, you know, deep routes? Why don't I design more jet sweeps or true running plays for Chase when I can take Joe Mixon off the field? I think Cole might be right. Less Debo doing what Debo did last year, but there could be as many as three or four other wide receivers who either get in the ear of their offensive coordinator or offensive minded head coach or the other way saying, yeah, we need to do more of that to get the ball in an exciting player's hands. That's what I took out of that. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. This could be an outlier season for Debo that we just witnessed. We might be witnessing one look down the line in a few years and go back and say, geez, whatever, whatever happened to that Debo fella in San Francisco. I'm just kidding. I think he could still be a good receiver, but, as good as he was last season, definitely up for debate. You brought some good points, both of you guys. And I guess I'll just wrap it up with a sweet and simple little lesson. Have fun. Just let's just have fun. I, Todd, you talked, you touched about it a little bit earlier about, you know, uh, trying not to cross your favorite team with your fantasy team too much. And yeah, sure, that's one way to do it. You know, for me, I don't look 
at my fantasy matchup at all during the day. I don't want to know who I'm playing against. I don't even want to know how my players are doing, even though if I just watch them score two touchdowns, maybe I'll have a good inkling, but it's just about having fun. And if it takes too much stress out of your life, you start getting the gray hairs, just take a step back and realize, you know, it's just a fictional game we created for watching and indulging in football. It's, it's supposed to be fun. Sure. Throwing big sums of cash to try and win your leagues might add a little more stress, reasonably so. That's totally justifiable. But still, it's just a game. We're just here to have fun. So fantasy football is supposed to be fun. That's my final lesson I'm bringing to the table today. We had some great ones. And it was even better that we had you in the show today, Todd. Really appreciate your time. I knew uh, from when we met a few months ago, I had to get your expertise into the show. Really appreciate you. Uh, For anyone listening who wants to hear more from Todd, he hosts the Todd Wright Fantasy Football Podcast. Anywhere else that they could listen to you or even contact you, Todd? Uh, the Todd Wright Fantasy Football Podcast Season 7 will launch. The sponsor mm-hmm. has not told me how many episodes. they. The sponsor bought 50 episodes last year. I was supposed to do 40. So I did 60, hoping to get more money out of the sponsor this year, saying, oh, okay, well, then we'll pay more. So I'm still waiting for that, but I think we'll launch uh, in late July on a lot of major podcast platforms. It's distributed out of Tampa by Tampa Bay by some really good guys who run a website called Joe Bucks fan, uh, dot com that I've known for many, many years. And the reason why this all started was they hated answering fantasy football questions. And I said, <laughs> if you want that off your plate, let me know. And here we are seven years later. So, and then I have a non-fantasy uh, podcast simply called the Todd Wright Toddcast. It is available on many of those uh, not quite as many platforms. And I'm on social media at Todd Wright 2121 on Instagram and on Twitter. Well, there you go, Todd. Appreciate your time as always. Cole, always awesome chatting with the, up with you. I got a great idea for a show next week. I'm going to hold this one close to my vest like I've done before, though. So stay tuned if you're listening to the Breakout Football Podcast and you like what Cole and I had to say or you hated what we had to say. Feel free to let us know on social media. He's at Ham Analysis. I am at Zach Cohen FB. Make sure to leave those likes, leave those reviews, leave those ratings on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on today. But as always, Cole, the last word, my friend, it's all yours. Yeah, those have been nine incredible fantasy football lessons for everyone to take to heart. And yeah, no excuses for next season. Y'all better win your leagues. Stay locked, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.